Matthew 19, 16 says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he, Jesus, said unto him, unto this man who came to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, this man says unto Jesus, Which? Which commandments? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now most every record that we've looked at so far about someone who talked about, especially those who talked to Jesus about eternal life, Nicodemus being one and the woman at the well being one, they went away saved. This man didn't go away saved. This man went away sorrowful. And so it's worth looking at. I love this passage and I hope we'll find some um, helpful, um, practical ideas about witnessing to people, reaching people with the gospel. So let's ask the Lord's help as we begin. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Pray that you'd bless as we study it together. Open our eyes, our hearts. Help us to learn. Lord, help us to grow. Help us, Lord, to be able ministers of the New Testament. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the Bible just begins in verse 16 by saying, one came. So we're going to talk about this person who came. Who was this, who was this man? And uh, in verse 20 it tells us that he was a young man. There in Matthew chapter 19. And in, in verse, uh, 20, verse 22 it says that he had great possessions. So as a young man, we don't know how old he was, but he's a young man who was very wealthy. And as I said earlier, Mark, Mark writes about this, Luke writes about this, and Luke tells us he was a ruler. And that's why we often call him the rich young ruler. It doesn't say those words exactly in any place, but if you take the testimony of the three writers, he was young, he was a ruler. And he was rich. Uh, now, we don't know what kind of ruler he was. Some people speculate he may be a ruler in the synagogue. But whatever the case was, he was a man of means. He had wealth, like you guys. He had wealth and he had responsibility, he had authority, he had leadership 
responsibility. And so verse 16, if you'll look there with me, he comes to Jesus. Now, again, he initiated this confrontation. Look at it in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him. It doesn't say Jesus went to that man. It means this man came to Jesus. And so he had an interest. Now, again, we've seen this about so many different People, you know, the man, the man in uh, Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot reading the Bible. This man has an interest. He's, he's, uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He had an interest. And this man is, is truly a seeker. And that's important to note. You know, sometimes when we go out and look for people, we engage people. Sometimes they might be receptive. They may have a heart for people. But sometimes... They may not be interested at all at the moment, right? They're disinterested. They feel like we're invading their space. But this man came to Jesus. And he came asking about eternal life. Look in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things should I do that I may have eternal life? So first of all, he called him good master. And master, we think of master as ruler, authority, a boss, an owner, but in this context, the word master really is understood as an instructor. And it was a term that was used sometimes for Jewish doctors. They were authoritative, they were, they were instructors, they were teachers. And so when he said good master, it's not like he is acknowledging that Jesus is the Almighty. As a matter of fact, this man has no clue as who Jesus is. That's an important thing to know. And by the way, that's the way a lot of people are. They have no clue as to who Jesus is or even who God is. But here, think about this. How can a person genuinely trust Jesus to save them if they don't even know who Jesus is? Right? And that's where this man was. He didn't. He thought he was. A, he thought he was a good man. He thought he was a good master. He thought he was a. He thought he was a reputable man, a man of character. He thought, thought all these things about Jesus, but he had no real idea who Jesus was. And uh, and notice the other part of the, or the the question itself in verse sixteen: What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, what does this man want to do? He wants to go to heaven, right? I mean, here's, this guy is not an atheist. He's not a guy who doesn't believe, he's not a Sadducee who doesn't believe in the resurrection. This man wants to know where I'm going to go when I die. What good thing must I do that I can inherit eternal life? So we've got a guy here who comes to Jesus and he says, I want to know how to go to heaven. I'm, so, I'm paraphrasing, summarizing, but that's really the question. Wouldn't that be great if somebody came up to you tomorrow and said, uh, look, I know you're a Christian. Could you tell me, you know, how can I know I'm going to heaven? And after you pick yourself up off the floor and you try to deal with this. So that's what he was asking. He was interested in eternal things. He was thoughtful about another world other than the world that we live in. Now, it's interesting, if you look in verse 16... He says, what good thing shall I do? What good thing could I do? He's, he wants to do something good. He feels he's capable of doing something good. 
And the same word he uses to describe himself, he used to describe Jesus. Good master. You're a good master. What good can I do? Which tells me he really doesn't have a, a, a right view of himself. Right? He doesn't have a right view of himself. If you're comparing your goodness to the goodness of Jesus, you don't understand some things about yourself. And you don't understand some things about Him. Right? N- none of us would ever put ourselves on the same level as Jesus. And yet that's what He's doing. Can you see that? Good ma- I, I'm, I'm, I, What can I do? That, you're a good master. You're a good teacher. What can I do good that I can have eternal life? It's almost like we're... And, uh, and I'm just taking the Bible and trying to understand what exactly it's saying... And so I think, it, so what this is, it's revealing something. And by the way, as we talk to people, if we'll talk to people, if we have the opportunity to talk to people and listen to people, we kind of see where they are. What do they, what do they know about themselves? And what do they know about Jesus? How much do they really know? And I'm not talking about he was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. I'm talking about who he is. Who is Jesus? They, and a person needs to know that. And, and um, this man, obviously, he, he needs a lot of work, right? He needs a lot of instruction. He needs to understand some things. And, and something else surfaces in verse 16. It's, it, and it's really obvious. You're already thinking about it. What good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? He believed that eternal life could be merited by something he could do, right? Right? He believed that. Show me what it is that I can do that I can inherit eternal life. By the way, lots and lots and lots of people have this same belief system. To them, it may be getting baptized. It may be joining the church. It may be reforming their life. What good thing can I do that I may inherit eternal life? So verse 16 is such an important verse, I believe, to understanding or appreciating or learning from this text. So the conversation begins in verse 17 with a very interesting question. And Jesus said to him, he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Why do you call me good? So Jesus is, he's focusing in on this subject of goodness. Why, why do you call me good? And then he says in verse 17, There is none good but one, that is God. Jesus said to this man, why do you call me good? Because there is no one else that is good but God. Now, to me, immediately, if I was that man talking to Jesus, I would be thinking, I'm in trouble because I just said, what good thing can I do to go to heaven? And he just told me, I'm not good. There's none good but God. Now, young person, don't miss this. Jesus did not say... He was not good. He just says no one is good but God. He didn't say he wasn't good because he was, he is good. He was good because he is God. Uh, and, and maybe Jesus, we don't know this. Maybe Jesus was presenting this man with that reality that Jesus is good and that Jesus is God because he would need to know that in order to be saved that he was God. But he was definitely suggesting that this man could not do good works. 
You cannot. There's no good works you can do. Because only God is good. And, and, and this, is, this is what we saw with the woman at the well. What Jesus is probing, what he's going to try to do, is convince this man of his own sinfulness. I mean, think with me for a moment. A person says, what must I do to go to heaven? And let's think about it for a moment. Because we're, we're talking about witnessing, we're talking about sharing our faith, we're talking about evangelism. If a person says, what must I do to go to heaven? It's implying that they know they're not able to go to heaven in the current state they're in. What do I have to do to go to heaven? And what is it that keeps every person separated from God? What is it? Their sin. It's sin that separates us from God. The only way to go to heaven is you have to deal with the sin issue. You have, to, you have to see yourself as a sinner. And you have to see that God is sinless and, and that you are a sinner. And so what's happening is, to me, Jesus is... And that's what, that's what Jesus did with the woman at the well. When, she, when he asked her, um, would you go get your husband? And she said, well, actually, I've, I've been married five times and the man I'm with now is not my husband. Now, Jesus knew all that, right? Why is he doing that? Because he's, he's trying to help her see her sin problem. It's sin that separates us from God. It's not the fact that we're not religious. It's sin. And there's nothing you or I or anybody else can do in and of ourselves. There is no goodness that can compensate or offset the fact that we're sinners. And so Jesus is just helping this man. And so look, look with me again, if you would, there in verse uh, 17. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one that is God. But, he says, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, I, I believe a person could read that and come to this conclusion. It would not be an accurate conclusion, but they could come to this conclusion. Jesus said you, you go to heaven by keeping the commandments. But we know that's not true. Because we know nobody can keep the commandments, right? Nobody has, nobody ever will. But Jesus said, if you're, ho- if you're planning on your... Think about this like from this way. If you, if you think your goodness can get you to heaven, if you can be saved by your goodness, here's what you need to do. You need to keep all the commandments. He wasn't suggesting keep the law and you'll be saved because... This, this man has got to see that he is a guilty sinner, and he's going to see it. He's not going to like what he sees, but he's going to see it. Hold your finger right here and go to the right to a little bit to uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. It says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law... There shall no flesh be justified in his sight. No flesh by the deeds of the law will ever be justified in his sight. For by the law is the what? Knowledge of sin. You know how we know we're sinners? By the law. The law convinces us that we're sinners. And so Jesus says there in verse 18, 
uh, verse 17, if, if you'll enter into life, keep the commandments. And he says, and this man says, which? Now, why did he say, which, which commandments? I, I'm, I'm thinking, he's thinking, well, I can keep some of them, or some are probably worse than others, and some are better than others. So which commandments? But here again is a truth that he does not know. And that is, James says, if you break one commandment, you're guilty of all of them. Because if you break one commandment, it, whatever it is, if, you've, if you told a little white lie, if you stole a piece of bubble gum, no, if you broke one commandment, according to the Bible, you're guilty of all commandments. Right? So he says, which, which commandment? Now, it doesn't, it doesn't say this here in Matthew, but in both Mark and Luke's Gospels, Jesus said this to him. Thou knowest the commandments. That's a pretty direct statement. You know the commandments. He asks, which commandments? He says, you know the commandments. And he goes on in verse 17. In verse 18, he says, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness, which is another way. You say something, you're not, you cannot say anything that's not true. Honor thy father and thy mother. I mean, all the, he gives us these commandments. If you break any of these commandments, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, uh, disobeying or dishonoring your father and mother. And then he says this in verse 19. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We're going to talk about that for just a moment. Now that's not one of the Ten Commandments. I hope you recognize that. But he didn't give all ten commandments. He didn't say the first commandment. You know, you love God with all, you know, the supreme. Um, he didn't mention the Sabbath. He just mentioned some of the commandments. But then he said this, again in verse 19. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that's a very simple sounding uh, commandment which which is not one of the 10 commandments but it was mentioned first in the book of Leviticus thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and uh, if you're in Matthew there go just to the right just a little bit to Matthew chapter 22 and here a lawyer comes to Jesus and he's testing him, he's tempting him in verse 35. Matthew 22 and verse 35. And this was his question in verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the supreme commandment in the law, in the Mosaic law? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord God, thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Now that again is taken from the Pentateuch in the book of Deuteronomy. Love God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And by the way, I... I'm convinced that any person who has an honest heart, 
who has any illumination at all spiritually would say, I've definitely broken that law. Love God with all your heart. Right? And this, verse 39, and second is likened to it, similar to it. Here's the second commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's the commandment that Jesus uh, spoke to this rich young ruler a little bit before. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then look at verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Those are like two blanket umbrella type commandments. Every commandment will fall. Every commandment falls into those two commandments. If you love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, and sometimes it says all your strength, then you're not going to sin against God. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to sin against your neighbor. You're not going to gossip against your neighbor. You're not going to take your neighbor's wife. You're not going to take what belongs to your neighbor. If you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, if you do those two things, you got it made. But nobody can do those two things, right? And that's, by the way, that, that second commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, is found several times in the New Testament. Now, it says, here's what I think. If a, if a, person, if a person says to me, preacher, you know, can you honestly say that you always, for all your life, he said, I've, He'll say, and I mean, I've done this for my youth. Always loved your neighbors yourself. I'd say, absolutely not. I'm ashamed to say I haven't always done that. And my question is, who could say they've never broken these commandments? Who could say I've never lied? Who could say I've never taken anything that didn't belong to me? Who can say I've always loved my neighbors myself? But notice what this man said in verse 20. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept. From my youth up, every one of these things you just said, from, the time, from as long as I can remember, I've, done, I've kept all those commandments. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Not too awful long ago, my wife and I were visiting someone. It's been weeks, not in recent, not in recent weeks, but some time ago. And we're having a really interesting, engaging conversation about the gospel and about being born again and about sin. And had the Bible out, going through, going through Bible verses. And, and, and I went through the Ten Commandments. I'm talking, about a per, I'm talking to a person who's older than I am. And that's pretty old. We're going through, going through the Ten Commandments. Why do you smile when I say that now? And at the end of this lengthy discussion about sin and salvation and new birth and what sin looks like and what God calls sin, about lying and about stealing and about everything, this person said, well, I know, I know what my sin is. And I was surprised, I was was anxious to hear what it was. My sin is, singular I smoke, and uh, I know I shouldn't, and, I, and, that's, and if I, I, that's the sin I've got to stop. And I'm not making this up, but I'm thinking, and I, I was kind of taken back by it, you know what I'm saying? 
Because when you look at, like James said, when you look into the perfect law of liberty, when you look into it, you see what you really look like. Right? And so I didn't, I didn't try to change this person's mind. I said, you know, I'd like to get together later and we will and have some more Bible studies and things like that. But my point is this. Sometimes people don't see themselves as sinners. Or maybe they're just being dishonest. Or maybe they're, they're too prideful to admit it. Or maybe something. But to me, if I had to... And, unf- and I had to... You know, many of you know my story. There was a time in my life, you know, when I used to smoke. But that was several weeks ago. No. No. <laughs> that was when I was a teenager. And I hate that I did it. But I'm telling you, if that was the worst thing I've ever done, I'd be in good shape. But the truth of the matter is, I've, I've been a liar. I've been a thief. I've not loved God. I've not honored the Sabbath. I've not obeyed and honored my parents. I'm telling you, that I'm guilty of everything in the book. So this person said, he says, I've done this from my youth. What lack I yet? What more can I do? And I just want to say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? That's what Proverbs says. No. <laughs> Now, you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is using the law. Now, you know, we've been talking about this subject for a couple of months. And it's not because there's nothing else in the Bible to talk about. I just feel feel like it'd be good to talk about this. Talking to people, engaging people in conversations. What do you talk about? And, And looking at Jesus is the greatest example, the greatest teacher for what we talk about. You know, and, and Jesus, you can tell, I mean, Jesus wants, matter of fact, it tells us in another gospel, it doesn't tell us here, Jesus loved this man. He loved him. He wanted him to go to heaven. He wanted him to be saved. But a person cannot be saved if they don't even know who Jesus is. And a person cannot be saved if they don't really see their sin and the consequences of their sin. And... So it just, it's, to me, the more help we can get, the more information we can get, the more lessons we can get about this, the more it will help us. So, this man says, I haven't broken or disobeyed any of the commandments. What should I do now? Um, and again, the question, I, I don't know why he said that. I don't know if he was just blind. You know, people's blind, their minds are blinded. And that's why, please, you know, we want to see people saved, but if you walked up to a little child and said, have you ever told a lie? And they say, yeah. Well, you understand lying is sin, right? Do you so you know you're a sinner? Yes. Well, then Jesus came to die for your sins. Are you willing to ask Jesus to save you? That's not usually enough information. Is it wrong to say that? I mean, they need to see... They need to see themselves as not just, yes, I did that intellectually, but I've violated, I've sinned against God. I, I've broken God's law. I'm separated from God. This is a serious matter. And I know children don't see it and understand it exactly the way adults do. But I'm telling you, when God gets a hold of, a, especially a teenager, when a God gets a hold of a teenager, I'm telling you, they're going to see that I've been guilty, I've disrespected my parents, I've told things that were not true. Before God, I'm guilty. And I'm telling you, that has to happen for a person to get saved. Amen. So, 
Maybe he was prideful. Maybe he was being dishonest. Maybe he was blind. I don't know. But at this very point, and Mark says this, but Matthew doesn't record this. It's this very, at this very precise point, Mark says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Isn't that something? The light hadn't come on yet. He doesn't really see himself as he is. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He's, a, he's not admitting his, his sin. But Jesus is not mad at him. Jesus is not frustrated with him. Jesus loved him. Amen? So what does Jesus do? He digs a little deeper. He's trying to help him connect with his sinfulness. So look with me, if you would, please, in verse 21. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect. Now the word perfect, very often in the New Testament, and by the way, I'm not a Greek scholar, but sometimes when I look at a word, I dig into the origin of the word a little bit to really try to get a handle on what is Jesus, what is the Bible trying to communicate to us? And sometimes the word perfect just means complete. But here it means a little bit different than that. It means, it means to be perfectly righteous like God is. If you're going to be perfect, this, you want to do good things? You want to, you think you can do good things? Well, here's something you can do. He says, verse 21, go and sell that thou hast. Go sell everything you've got and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He says, if you want to be saved by your goodness, you're going to have to be just like God is. You know what Jesus did? Jesus knew this man was materialistic. Jesus knew this man was covetous. We couldn't tell this on the surface. Just because a person has wealth or money doesn't mean that they're, they're, they love their money. But Jesus knew this man had an issue. And he's getting right to the heart of the problem. His, this man's possessions meant more to him than God did. In a sense, you could say this. That his wealth was his God. Little G-O-D. His wealth was his God. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 6. You cannot, you cannot serve two masters. So he says, this is, what, this is what you need to do. You need to leave your possessions. You need to live for eternity. You'll have, you'll have reward in heaven. And you need to follow me. And what did this man do? Look in verse 22. When the young man heard that saying, when those words came out of Jesus' mouth and entered into his ears, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, full of sorrow. For he had great possessions. He wanted to be saved, but he wasn't willing to part with his possessions. Now that does not mean any, that a person has to give their money away in order to be saved. It does mean we have to be willing to obey Jesus. And he went away sorrowful. You know what that tells me? This man really did want to go to heaven. He really was in earnest about it. But he wasn't willing to honestly deal with his sin. By the way, if a man will not put, did y'all hear that little crackling in the microphone? It's your ears, it's not really happening. It's the the thing the guys up there do when they're ready for me to stop. They start making the sound back there. (laughs) If a man, think about this young person. 
If a man is not willing to put God first, he's broken the first commandment. Right? That in itself makes us guilty. He wasn't willing to obey Jesus. Having his wealth was more important than obeying the Lord. Now this is something really think about. We're almost finished really. This is something to think about. Imagine yourself. Just try to imagine this. Or someone you know. Saying no to Jesus. No. To eternal life. Because you're not willing to do or give up what Jesus says he wants you to give up. Imagine that. That's exactly what this man did. So here's some lessons that we could take home from this. Number one. Oh, by the way, let's, let's, finish this, let's finish this up real quickly. Look in verse 23, because this goes with it. Then said Jesus unto his disciples. So he's, this is a teaching moment. Jesus said this to his disciples. Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, I'm going to say it a different way. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now you may be thinking, man, that is something. Well, that's exactly what the disciples were thinking. Look in verse 25. When the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So Jesus taught the disciples this. It is a rare thing for rich people to be saved. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but wouldn't you agree that's what Jesus said? And it is rare. Because often with wealth comes pride and self-sufficiency. I mean, people in the Bible, Abraham was a wealthy man. Lot was a wealthy man. People in the Bible were sometimes wealthy men. Nicodemus was a wealthy man. So these people, so it doesn't mean you can't have faith, but most people who are wealthy, Jesus said this, it's hard for them to humble themselves. It's hard for them to, to bankrupt themselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. That means you're, you're, you're contrite of spirit, you're broken, you're not trusting in yourself. And, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about that, about that pride. Um, and love, the love of riches. The Bible said, never says, uh, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. You can have money and have a love of God. But the love of money, loving what money can do, is the root of all evil, right? It's what the Bible says. And Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. There have been a lot of funny things said about that passage. But I'm think, I think it means exactly what it seems to mean. It would be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. That'd be something to see, wouldn't it? You know what you'd say? That's impossible. That's exactly right. It's impossible. It's impossible for a camel to go through an item new. And that's why, that's why the disciples were dismayed in verse 25 and said, who can be saved? But Jesus said in 26, with men it's impossible. It's, with men it's impossible to be saved. 
But with God, all things are possible. Right? Salvation is impossible for men. This man couldn't save himself. There's no good, no amount of good works that he can use to save himself. Salvation is a miracle. It takes, you know, it takes the humility of a human heart for a person to be saved. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, take this further than, than just saying this. But I, I couldn't have even humbled myself before God to be saved if God hadn't been working in my heart. I couldn't have done it. I was a very prideful, selfish person. I lived for myself. I never got up and said I love myself, but I lived for myself. Early in the morning to dark, I, I had one consideration, that's what, what I want. But you know what? God began to work in my heart and brought me to the end of myself. Isn't that a wonderful thing how God can do that? So it takes, it takes, it's impossible for men. It takes the humility of a human heart and the divine power of God to produce new birth. It's a miracle. Just two days ago, my wife and I found us some topsoil and put it over this place that we want to try to grow some grass and put some grass seed in the ground and some straw over it and watered it. But you know what? We can't make grass grow. God can, though. Amen? Especially if you know how bad that dirt is. It'd take God for sure. I'm telling you, it takes a miracle. If you're saved tonight, it's because God did a miracle in your life. Not because of anything you did. Because God did it. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, the only way you'll be saved is because God works a miracle in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility. We do have a responsibility to see ourselves as sinners and humble ourselves before God. But it takes a miracle. So there's a lot in this, there's a lot in this tonight. A lot in this story, in this passage, in this teaching. And, and one of them is the, the importance of having an understanding of who Jesus is. Now, I've, t- I've kind of alluded to this before. But I want to say it again. You know... Times have changed. People have changed. And I didn't get saved till I was 21. And I, know, I use my story because I know my story better than anybody else's story. I didn't get saved till I was 20. But let me tell you something. I knew who God was. I knew who God was because I was raised in a home where Mama took us to church every time the doors were open. I knew who God was because I wasn't saved. But I knew who God was now, this does date me, because in elementary school, I had a teacher who would open up their Bible and read the Bible and have prayer with us every day. Even though I wasn't saved, I had an awareness of who God was. I had a respect for God. But this man met Jesus eyeball to eyeball and had no idea who he was, right? He did not know. And many people are clueless as to who God really is. And we want to help them. That doesn't mean they're hopelessly lost. It just means they need to see Him. They need to know Him. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time with them. And the second thing is they have, they have to have an understanding of sin. See themselves as a sinner. One of the things I love about this story is the fact that Jesus just kept working at him and coming from different angles and trying to help him see how lost he was. 
It's, it's sad that he went away lost, isn't it? I think it's sad. But but just goes to show you, Jesus, if if we would Jesus was the greatest gospel preacher ever, the greatest personal evangelist ever. And yet this man walked away lost. Right? So we can do our job, but they have to submit. They have to humble themselves. They have to repent. They have to understand and believe. Our job is just to tell them the story. Sow the seed. Keep planting the seed. Isn't this great that God would let us have a role in God's work? I think it's wonderful. And if nobody else benefited from these Wednesday night lessons, I'm benefiting from them. It's helping me. Just refreshing. And um, just having conversations. Gospel conversations with people. Now... Tonight, I hope if you're saved, you'll take something home with you about this. And by the way, hearing all these things and getting all this information is, is, um, is good, but that's not the goal. The goal is that we'd put some of it into practice. We'd talk to people, engage them in conversations. And... Uh, So I hope you'll do that. Second of all, everybody looking up here and listening. There's some of you here tonight that are probably not saved. I'm not saying that I know who's saved and who's not. But I would, you're hearing a lot of gospel on these Wednesday night services, right? From a lot of different angles. And to hear all this and not do something with it. You know, I thought, I just had this thought about that man we just talked about. He's one of the few people in the Bible who ever came to Jesus and left in worse shape than he was when he came. Because he had information and he walked away. And, and if you just keep hearing it and hearing it, you're doing nothing about it, you're not really saved, then you ought to be thinking about that. Amen?